Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's really good to have your company here again. It's been another busy week in the world of education in Australia and indeed around the world. Um, we are here again, the dogs. We are the Defenders of Government Schools, D-O-G-S. And every week we turn up on, on your airwaves or on your podcast or on your new internets or wherever it is you're listening to us in the car or at home or through some earbuds. Um, if you're listening to us, we have to be here because in Australia, public education needs defending. As soon as public education is properly funded and every child gets a gold standard education in a school that's free, it's universal and offensive to none, um, then we'll um, we'll pack up our bags and, 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 and we might have to come into the studio at 3CR because the world will be put to rights. But as of last week, that hasn't happened. Um, there's all sorts of ridiculous things going on. And education is part of you know, the larger question leading up to this couple of elections turning up. It becomes a very political issue. But Jean's actually highlighted because a lot of people don't know this, but um, my co-presenter here on the Dogs Program, Dr Jean Ely, um, is a lawyer and um, is, as well as an educational activist. And she's got some interesting ideas about the law when it comes to franking credits and how franking credits and education are at Candash. they be very closely linked. Um, myself, um, I will be talking to you in, in some detail about the apartheid that's going on in, in Australian education, and I use that word advisedly. Apartheid is the separation up, out of groups of people on purpose, not by accident, but on purpose. And in Australia, we are separating out our children on purpose. There are those children that are rich and there are those children that are poor and they shall not meet in schools in Australia because that is what our education policy is creating, a system where there is an education for rich people and there's an education for poor people. And on top of that, there's an education for Catholic people, there's an education for Baptist people, there's an education for Islamic people. And all the children from all these religions are being separated out in this country from birth and they don't meet in schools. So when people start talking about multiculturalism in Australia, we're designing an education system in an education system in our schools, which is the opposite of multiculturalism. It's tr- we're creating a tribal system of education. And here at the Dogs, we think that's a really stupid idea, not just for this generation, but for generations to come. We believe that the government should only support those schools which provide an education for all people at the school gate, and, and is offensive to no one. You know, we're not going to be talking about Sharia law or canon law or the word of God when it comes to a maths class. In a maths class, it's about maths. English is about English. If you wish to have a religious education and you wish your children to, you in Australia have every right to this. It's called Sunday school for some religions. Um, it's called Bible study classes for those people who truly value the word of their God. And here at Dogs Program, we have many religious people involved. And for those religious people, religion is a serious matter and nothing to do with being funded by the government. Mm. It's absolutely true. Um, of course, this debate has been playing out, this debate of you know, religion and, and, and what is religion and why should the government be, be subsidising and fund, funding religion, has been playing out just recently um, in a report by Ruddock about religious discrimination. And we have an interesting interview with um, Dr Luke Beck, 
and um, interesting bishops um, which we'll be playing for you today um, it's actually, uh, we've lifted it up from the Radio National program, God forbid but um, what Luke Beck has to say we thought was worth our listeners hearing as well, so rather than plagiarising we happily acknowledge um, the good work that Radio National has done and we'd like you to hear um, Dr Luke Beck from uh, I think it's the University of New South Wales in his own words He's an Associate Professor at Monash at the moment. Oh, sorry. He's also talking um, with uh, Bishop Robert Forsyth from Sydney and a lady who is a legal professor but also an advisor to the Anglicans in Western Australia. And the discussion is very interesting indeed. The dogs are interested particularly when they start talking about schools which are really religious because... For 26 days in 1981, the religious people running schools in Australia claimed that their schools were not religious institutions. So it's a very, very interesting discussion indeed. Which we'll be having later in the program. But before we get to that, we start our program as we always do with, um, with Jean's press release. We'll be talking about franking credits. And we're going to finish our program, of course, with good news. I want to talk to you about a great state school up in Queensland, the, the, the Ginibara. State school, just outside Burpengary. In the, in, yes, um, we got producer Dale, who's nodding, she knows Burpengary very well. Um, yeah, just, just, just outside Burpengary, uh, south of Caboolture, up there in the, in the northern bits of, of, uh, Brisbane. Uh, so, gee, it's an amazing school. I look forward to telling you about it, but you're gonna have to wait till the end to hear the good news, because Jean's now got some things to tell you about franking credits after this. Let the mythical tarantula bite you at the 2019 Taranta Festival. Five days of southern Italian and Mediterranean music, food and culture for March 13 to 17, including the exclusive Melbourne concert by the 2018 Songlines Music Awards Best Group in the World. Canzoniere Gagarnico Sanantino. Direct from Italy via Wormadelaide. At the Thornbury Theatre, Friday, March the 15th. Taranta Festival includes talks, workshops, concerts and parties. For information and tickets, visit tarantafestival.com.au. Early bird tickets are available until February the 15th. Presented by Devella, a VCR supporter. Would you like to get involved in the decision-making process at 3CR? Nominations are now open in 3CR's Community Radio Federation elections. You can stand as a subscriber representative and have valuable input into the programming and future direction of this diverse and dynamic radio station. Nominations are due by Friday the 1st of March at 5pm. For more information, contact 3CR Station Manager on 94198377 or download the nomination form at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. So here we are once again on the Dogs Program with our press release number 782. Franking credits and public education. Well, those of you who have been listening to the uh, news have been seeing that we're going to have an election on fear about borders, protections and people and franking credits. Well, what are they? I thought that we'd have a little chat about it. Marilyn Parker, who's a public education advocate, is comparing public education funding from the federal government, a federal shortened government, with withdrawal of franking credits for retirees. And this is what she had to say on Twitter. Yes, I got something on Twitter, would you believe? The Morrison government, she said, gives $5.9 billion a year, yes, every year, to 4% of the Australian population in cash tax rebates for franked shares. It gives less than $5 billion each year to public schools. And this is mind-blowingly stupid because public education is an investment for all Australians. And that came through at 11.07pm on the 3rd of February 2019. These are strong arguments for public school voters to prefer a Labor to a coalition government in election year 2019. But what are franking credits and what is the truth of this claim? 
So I went onto the internet and Google and tried to find out what franking credits are. The Grattan Institute on the 3rd of February 2009 produced information which favoured the Labor position of taking franking credits from retirees, not pensioners, um, but from retirees. But what are the actual franking credits themselves? The ATO has some information on this. They're known as imputation credits, and they're a type of tax credit, that is a, 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 a rebate, tax given back to you, that allows Australian companies to pass on the tax that is paid at the company level to the shareholders. The benefits are that these franking credits can be used to reduce income tax paid on dividends or potentially be received as a tax refund. But they assume that tax has been paid before you get the tax back. Uh, those of you who are workers who pay tax on income tax, when you put your tax uh, re- return in and ask for tax back on things that you have paid for, you have already paid tax. And the reason you have this arrangement is that there is a very basic rule in taxation that you don't have double taxation. You don't tax the same amount twice. Under this system, the Australian Tax Office recognises that corporate tax has already been paid on profits which have then been distributed as dividends. And this already paid tax can be transferred to investors using franking credits, thus reducing their overall tax liability. But they have paid tax first. The nuts and bolts of the process is best explained with, for example, with an example. Let's assume a company is on the standard corporate tax rate of 30%. So for every 100 cents of pre-tax profit, it will pay 30 cents in tax. So the company pays that 30 cents in tax. So let's then assume that the other 70% of that 100 percent of profit, a fully frank dividend is paid to the investor. But in at taxation time, you'll also get $100 of taxable income, 70 cents of the dividend plus the 30 cents of the franking credits. So you'd pay on $100 at your standard marginal tax rate. But since the company has already paid the 30%, that's 30% less tax for you to pay. That's how it tends to work. Now, the self-managed super funds are a major beneficiary of this practice, with 50% of the benefit to these self-managed super funds accruing to the top 10% of their balances. And some funds, some individual funds, are receiving cash refunds of more than $2.5 a year. The Grattan Institute on the 3rd of February produced information which favoured the Labor position. This uh, is what they say. Labor's plan would restore the pre-2001 system and most taxpayers could still use these imputation credits to offset other tax owing to the Australian Tax Office. But if you have people who have no income tax liability at all, which retirees are in this position on the whole, they're mainly retirees and they're mainly self-managed super funds. They are the people who will no longer be able to claim the cash refunds because they're not paying any tax in the first place. The government claims, however, 
That's the Morrison government are claiming that 54% of people who are affected by Labor's policy, some 610,000 individuals, have taxable incomes of less than 18,200. And it says that, or it claims that 86% of this value of all franking credits refunded are received by those with taxable incomes of less than 87,000 a year. Well, how many of us actually get $87,000 a year? And those claims are actually deeply misleading because taxable income ignores the largest source of income for many wealthy retirees, which is tax-free superannuation. Superannuation is tax-free. For example, a self-funded retiree couple with a 3.2 million super balance plus their own home and 200,000 in Australian shares held outside super. Even drawing 130,000 a year in superannuation income and 15,000 a year in dividend income, they would report a combined taxable income of just 15,000 and pay no income tax whatsoever. And is the Treasurer seriously suggesting that 610,000 retirees actually get by on less than 18,200 a year or nearly 20% below the poverty line? Because if that were anywhere close to the real story, it would signal a full-blown retirement income crisis. So whoever they are, Scott Morrison's 610,000 low-income earners are clearly not the poorest retirees and few, if any, are maximum-rate pensioners. And yet these are the people who are screaming blue murder about this arrangement. So where does the $5 billion figure come from? That there's going to be $5 billion saved that can be spent on public education from these franking credits or taxation, which is given back to retirees who haven't paid taxation in the first place, even though they're getting quite a substantial income. The five billion figure comes from Chris Bowen. Now, are you still with me on this? Because I know it's a little bit complicated. But Chris Bowen claims that Professor John Hewson, who, by the way, used to be a leader of the, of the coalition back in the 1990s, but he has remarked that under Howard and Costello, a concession was created which allowed individuals and superannuation funds to receive this cash refund, even if their imputation credits exceeded the tax that they owed. And because of this, Australia is now the only OECD country with a fully refundable dividend imputation credit system, which is a concession to elderly people who actually have a very substantial income anyway and pay no tax. And it now costs the budget more than $5 billion a year. So it's John Hewson an ex-coalition gentleman, leader, who's now a professor, he's an economist, and Chris Bowen, the shadow treasurer, who are coming up with this $5 taxation concession given to retirees who pay no tax anyway. Uh, Self-managed funds are the major beneficiary, with 50% of the benefit to them accruing to the top 10% of their balances and some funds receiving cash refunds of more than 2.5 million a year. So the shortened Labor government, if it gets in, will close down the concession created by Howard and Costello and return to the arrangement which was first introduced by Hawke and Keating so that imputation credits can only be used to reduce tax and not for cash refunds. Now, according to Bowen, the concession will save the budget $11.4 billion a year, 
over the forward estimates from 2018 to 19 and improved the budget bottom line by $59 billion over the medium term. So we're not talking small cookies here. They're very impressive figures, and public education people are looking at these figures with great interest, especially when the Labor Party are promising to use this money for public education. But public education supporters should be very wary of any shortened government. It's no different to the Morrison government in preferential treatment of religious systems of education. Uh, They have favoured the religious systems to the public systems since state aid was introduced back in 1969. And for every billion given to public schools, a greater amount is diverted into religious systems. Not one dollar has ever been taken from the religious systems since 1969. In fact, the billions of dollars are ever-increasing, while Labor, as well as Liberal governments throughout Australia, have been prepared to withdraw funds and even close public schools. But the um, voters should not be taken in by the wealthy retirees who are saying that they are being very badly treated by these franking credits. And um, the dogs would, of course, support any money coming back into the Treasury that can be used for public education. But watch this space. I'm sorry if this has been um, a bit difficult, but um, sometimes you just have to inform yourself, when, particularly when the um, coalition government are being very aggressive and telling outright lies. And taxation issues are very important as soon as you start talking about education. Unfortunately, it does get back to dollars and cents. And we have to be sensible about the dollars and the cents. Thank you very much. And you're listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and podcast on the WWWs. After a break and a bit of music, um, we're going to have um, an interview. Uh, the first voice you'll hear back is Dr Luke Beck um, on a program called God Forbid on Radio National. Um, God Forbid is a program which discusses religious issues. And this particular discussion you're about to hear, there's a discussion of, of the rights of religious schools to use their exemptions to get rid of anyone in their school that they don't feel um, adheres to their religious beliefs. And I suppose that makes a certain sense, except Luke Beck points out quite rightly halfway through this discussion that, yes, you can do what you like in your own church, but um, if you're in a school and the school is substantially funded by the taxpayer, then, um, then you should be constrained by the law of the land. Anyway, I'll let the, um, I'll let the debate play itself out. But we'll, have, of course, have a little break before, before we have that. Well, if somebody has been sacked because they express a religious view, then that's obviously wrong, and in most states that's already unlawful. So, look, in federal law, we have a suite of anti-discrimination acts 
religious organisations are exempt from some of them. How does that work? So generally speaking, a religious organisation, so this is not a private individual who happens to be religious, but a religious organisation such as a church or a religious charity or a church-run school or a church-run hospital, for example, they are generally speaking exempt from all of the federal anti-discrimination rules if the conduct they wish to engage in conforms to their religious beliefs, principles or tenets. But there's an exception. There is no exemption whatsoever in aged care. If you are a religious-run nursing home, you cannot discriminate against your residents or patients, regardless of what your religious beliefs are. But you can in schools and charities? But you can in schools, and provided that it conforms to your religious beliefs or principles. And then there's a big but. Just because it might be allowed under federal law, it might, depending on what state you're in, be unlawful under state law. And, Luke, the Greens want those exemptions for religious organisations removed from our federal discrimination laws. You're a rank-and-file member of the Labor Party. What's Bill Shorten's position on this? Well, I can't speak for the Labor Party. The Labor Party will speak for themselves. At the moment, there's a bill before the federal parliament introduced by the Labor Party that would remove exemptions in the case of schools, including religious schools, and essentially put schools in the same situation as nursing homes. So schools would not be allowed to discriminate against students in the same way that nursing homes are not allowed to discriminate against residents or patients. But just like nursing homes, nursing homes are allowed to discriminate against their staff if it conforms to the organisation's religious beliefs. And the Labor Bill would continue to allow schools, including religious schools, to discriminate against their staff if that conforms to the religious beliefs of the organisation. So, Robert Forsyth, what that means in practice is a religious school can sack a teacher for being in a de facto relationship, can refuse to hire another teacher for being gay and can do the same to a teacher who might get divorced. If it conformed to the doctrine of that religion and religious sensibilities, yes. Look, most religious schools are not religious. I mean, they're, they're church schools in a vague or sense. I call it the homeopathic method, just a little touch of something on the edge. And maybe they're concerned about their chaplain, but there are some schools which I call intentional religious communities where the parents and the organisation in the school want to run not just an education institution but a particular kind of intentional religious educational institution for the law to say for a member of the staff of that school to not walk the walk of the religion of that school in major ways would be inconsistent with the purpose of that school and that's why I think it is right they've got the right to discipline or not hire those whose behaviour and beliefs is inconsistent with the particular purposes of that intentional religious school. Even if you think they're rubbish and it's all nonsense, I still think they need to have the right to do that for their own sake. Luke Beck? Sure. So the position Robert just described would be the effect of the legislation that's currently been introduced by the Federal Labor Party. Do you support that? Personally, no. And well, it's yes and no. My view is if you are running a school with public money, you should comply with public rules. If you're running a school with your own private money, well, then sure, do what you like. Well, every private school gets some public money. I've got a different view on that. Schools are going to be the hot point because schools are the intersection of family, state, religion. I I make a distinction between two different kinds of government funding. If the government funds a a religious institution to do some work on behalf of the government, uh, run an employment service or something, the government can set the terms of those as much as it likes, as long as it doesn't impose rules upon the religious organisation that would threaten the religious nature of the organisation. But on the other hand, if the government is funding in order to allow diversity, not just provide a service, then the government ought not to be making the funds under conditions that would destroy the diversity. With education, the purpose of funding education is also to allow a diverse range of schools, and that's a different kind of purpose than just doing a government business being outsourced to a religious organisation. The religious schools are still required to comply with all the formalities of the state and federal-based curriculums, so the idea that there is this huge diversity in the nature of education being provided isn't the same. No, I'm not saying... Their students sit the same HSC and VCE. Religious schools should be treated in the same way as religious nursing homes, that they should not be allowed to discriminate against their patients or students and I don't think that religious-run nursing homes or schools that are operating with public funding, and in most cases almost entirely with public funding, should be allowed to discriminate against their staff either. If that was true, for many of them it would destroy their nature as a religious school or institution because by doing that you take away the one point at which they can select staff according to the mores of their religion. If they could source their own funding to run that sort of school, then good luck to sure, them. But, but that's, the public shouldn't be subsidising. But this is our political view, which says the government should never fund religious organisations. That's, that's effectively what you've said.
Dr. Renee Barker, your view on this? This debate is not new. And ultimately it comes down to that question... Do we want religious organisations, religious institutions to be funded by the government at all? Because if the answer is no, then obviously we remove any money from any of them. But if the answer is yes, we can't say yes, but you can't be a religion. I think that's, that's right. It's going to be one or the other, I think. That's the distinction. We already provide money to religious schools on conditions. We give money to religious schools on condition that the money is used only for education, that the school is not run for profit, that the school conforms to the state and national curriculums. Money to Absolutely. religious schools is, already comes with conditions. No, no, Luke, the question is not the question of no conditions. No one's arguing that. That's a straw man. The question is conditions which would threaten the religious nature of the school. That's the problem. Well, curriculum could threaten the religious nature of the school. In which case the yes, school shouldn't, be, shouldn't resist. If, if school wants to teach something which is contrary to science, I agree that, that they won't be able to exist. So why is the school compelled to agree by a curriculum, but not social and uh, legal norms with respect to the be- hiring and firing of staff who happen to get because divorced? Because the hu- happened. By the way, that's a straw man too. Well, it's not a straw man for the divorced teacher they who's sacked. Where? Who? Speak, it can speak, be done. Speak to the independent education union. They'll give you examples of members. Look, the question is, are you going to impose a particular view of sexuality and sexual behaviour upon publicly funded institutions in the society. That's the question. And Luke, should we or not? We should prohibit discrimination being subsidised by the taxpayer. Which is the same as imposing the sexual revolution on all government funded institutions. Luke, imposing the sexual revolution? It's not a sexual revolution. Gay people, trans people have existed since day dot. There's nothing new about that. That's not the point I'm making. It's not whether they exist. It's about whether sexual behaviour is morally approved or not. That's the question. So it's okay to be gay as long as you don't have sex. I'm saying that is what many religions happen to hold who don't believe marriage equality actually is marriage. That's the minority view which is going to be held for a long, long, long time in this society by significant religious communities. And let them hold that view. The question is, will you allow them to receive any funding for their schools as religious schools. Discrimination should not be subsidised by the taxpayer. No, that's begging the question. That's begging selection. The trouble selection with the word is that a euphemism for, for discrimination. And discrimination I... is a euphemism to imply that any discrimination is automatically wrong. They're loaded words. That's one of our problems. Selection good, discrimination bad. They both could be the same event seen from different points of view. We're using a phrase called persuasive definition where you define the question to get your answer. Marriage equality being a case in point, as distinct Exactly. From I've used it out of respect, but I think well, it was... Well, discri- discrimination the is, the, is the term used in the legislation, so that's why I'm using the term, that's the legal terminology. You've heard, actually, were um, extracted from the internet. So that was a program called God Forbid on Radio National, which we have used because we think it forms... It basically goes to the actual questions which we here at the Dolls are discussing every every week, which is, as, as the bishop said, well, you shouldn't give us any money then if that's the way you feel. And, of course, the answer is, well, yes, of course, that is the way we feel. Um, before then, of course, um, there was some lovely music we had in the break. I, I should have told you before, but that was a gavotte, a, a lovely little one to dance to uh, before we got stuck into that interview. But that... As I said, that particular series of comments and interviews by Luke Beck and the other people involved um, speaks directly to what we the dogs are talking about. Jane, how is it, do you think, that the debate has changed, that such a discussion can even be had? I find it extremely interesting. Uh, I think that the situation in Australia at the current time, economically, where you have private schools, religious schools, being given more taxpayer money than public schools and the realisation that Australia is falling behind the rest of the world with its education system means that we're actually back in the 19th century. This is a a perennial problem uh, that you can't actually have a denominational system which is for some children and educate all of the children. And religious belief is, in fact, a very private matter. But at what point can it or should it be a public matter? Uh, There have been established churches, uh, churches and religion and power and sex have a long, long history of going together. And you have in that discussion the ambiguity, the current ambiguity of the Anglican Church. Back in the 19th century, the Anglican Church in the end decided that separation of church and state in education was the way to go. 
And they did keep some of their own schools and they went it alone, as did the Catholic Church. But at the moment, and since 1969, the Anglican and the Protestant churches in Australia, seeing that the money was there, have cashed in and set up their own schools. And as soon as they looked like losing it for legal reasons in 1981, they then said, oh, but we are not really religious. Uh, We are not religious institutions. But the dogs have been consistent all along. We have said that religion and the state should be separate. So when it got to the point where they had to say in that discussion, well, are you saying that no public money, no taxpayer money should be given to religion at all? Luke Beck's answer is no money should be given for discriminatory practices. And uh, dogs are at that point also. Dogs have always said that you must separate out religion from the public purse. It's bad for religion and it's certainly very bad for a democratic state and it's even worse for the welfare of public education. So we found that discussion very interesting indeed and it's wonderful that in this country of ours we still have a democracy and we still have a radio station, the ABC, where such a discussion can take place. Thank you very much, Jane. Yes, which brings us to um, something Jane just brought up there, which is in a country like Australia, if you want to deliberately separate our children on the basis of their religion and what school they go to, go to um, and if you want to separate children out on any grounds whatsoever, that is a very slippery path, which we are now currently on, and I can actually map out the way that path is going from some very interesting, from some very interesting research done by Chris Bonner um, from the Centre for the Policy Development, which I'd like to share with you after these messages. Transitions Film Festival returns to Cinema Nova this February with a selection of cutting-edge documentaries about what it means to be human. Featuring local and international documentaries, the festival covers social and technological innovations, big ideas and changemakers leading the way to a better world. Themes include art, activism, climate change, food revolutions, artificial intelligence and the future of our planet. Transitions Film Festival, February the 21st to March the 8th at Cinema Nova. Tickets from transitionsfilmfestival.com. A 3CR supporter. for human rights, indigenous sovereignty and climate justice. Our destination is Manus Island. Join us for the Freedom Flotilla. Sailforjustice.org. Get on board. A 3CR supporter. Dogs program on 3CR 855 on AM dial and podcast on the www's um, and indeed at our website www.adogs.info if you're listening through our website. Um, I promised just before the break we'd be talking about an interesting set of research done by Chris Bonner for the um, at the Centre of Policy Development. Um, he has mapped out exactly the pathway that we here in Australia are taking down to uh, an educational apartheid state, a separation out of children uh, based upon income and there's a separate separation of course which relates to religion and religion and income in terms of education seems to be tying themselves up in a very tight bind together because religious institutions can of course select whoever they wish to enrol and reject whoever they do not. Now Krishmana says and it's worth pointing out he says and in his own words uh, this is now the beginning of a school year in 2019 it's a time of great excitement and expectation for students and their families. A new year, new friends, and often a new school. It's also exciting for teachers and school principals as they welcome new students into their school community. Principals, especially, are keen to know how many students they will have because the size of school enrolment determines the support, including teacher numbers and learning resources, that the school can attract. But it is more than just the number of students that matters. 
School principals know that improving the quality of teaching and learning is their priority. They also know that some students help this happen and enhance the image of the school more than others. Students can be an intellectual and cultural resource for the school, bringing to their school prior learning, family education, networks and know-how. Far too often in Australia, getting the right students forms a hidden agenda. In the competition between schools in Australia. But the capacity of a school to choose their students varies considerably. Some schools set entry tests or they charge fees. Others must take all comers. For this reason, the story behind school achievement and the way it changes over time is far more complex and troubling in Australia. It is only partially a school's inside story. The outside story is creating a pattern of winners and losers among Australian students, among Australian schools and among the community itself. Now this pattern is increase, of increasing concern because differences between schools in terms of who they enrol are increasing over time. Depending upon their location, their origin, their wealth and social status, Australian families can have quite disparate experiences of schools. Those able to do so are walking away from struggling schools in a process heavily supported by governments, families with means to choose, are paying to enrol their students in a fee-charging school. Many others relocate to live within the catchment of a higher status public school. To state this is not to attribute credit or blame to families. It is just how the school system works. However, the system clearly does not improve educational equity or overall student achievement. It is instead characterised by enrolment discrimination, unequal resourcing and considerable inequity in access and, and opportunity for students. These features of our education system today diminish the impact of countless initiatives in school reforms and blunt our efforts to lift the achievement of all young people. The widening gaps between schools make it increasingly difficult to lift the achievement of disadvantaged children and communities. In broad terms, we've long known about the resulting downside of inequality. But Chris Bonner wishes to show how changing students' enrolment patterns are impacting achievements in schools, grouped according to their level of advantage, where they live, and indeed the school sector. Now, that is what Chris Bonner set out to look for. That is what he set out to find. And this, indeed, is what he did find. He says that, especially in terms of enrolments and characteristics and school achievement measures, these results are that the inequality between schools and between communities is increasing based on one single factor. There are lots of others, but the most important single factor is how much money your parents earn. Now, I'm sort of paraphrasing what he said here, but in his words, he says, these findings, we can see high achievers concentrating in the most advantaged schools, while low achieving students are concentrated in poorer schools. It's just that simple. We now have schools which are functioning across two different education systems, one for the rich kids and one for the poor kids. We have created this, that is what has been created, and, and this is the point, it is getting worse. Now, how much worse? I think the numbers here will be useful and informative for our listeners because the numbers here, I think, are quite shocking. Since 2005 to today, okay, so this is all in the 21st century, since 2005 to, to today, What's happened is this, that students in schools with an ICSIA value of over, of over 1,100, okay, which is rich. So the average ICSIA value in Australia, we say this again each week and week, is 1,000. So 1,000 is your median number. If you go to a school and the ICSIA value of the school is below 1,000, that means that you are in the poorer half of Australians. If it's over 1,000, then you're in the richer half of Australians. It goes from around about 850 to 1150. Okay, so you know, getting down to 850 is, is, is the poorest Australians. 
Um, and getting up above 1100 means you're stinking rich. Congratulations. Well done. I hope you got it ethically. If you didn't, boo. If, if you did, great. Excellent. Anyway, in 2005, there was a disparity between the, the, the academic achievements, distinguished achievements, that were being achieved in very rich schools and very poor schools. So in very rich schools, okay, there were around about 10,000 students who were distinguished high achievers, and in very poor schools there were around about 1,500. So there were still some students in the very poor schools which were still achieving, still achieving, um, excellently. I mean, so if you're smart, you're smart, and there is still a capacity, but what's happened is that the situation in Australia is that we've segregated you out. If your parents don't have any money and you're stinking smart, you will still be in a school that will be under-resourced and you'll be surrounded by people who will not have the resources to help you achieve in the ways that you need to. Now, between 2005 and today, there has been a 13% increase in the proportion of students who are very high achieving, distinguished achievements, 13% increase in concentration of those students in high-achieving schools. So the high-achieving schools are picking as many high-achieving students as they possibly can, and they're concentrating in those schools. The number of distinguished achievers coming from the poorest schools has fallen. That is to say, it's fallen by 3%. It went up there in a bit, you know, for a bit, but now it's way down. So what's happening is you're spreading it out. The rich are getting richer, the rich are getting better educated in terms of distinguished achievement, and the poor are getting poorer. The poorer I have, the poor kids, doesn't matter how smart you are, are now getting fewer and fewer opportunities to actually to demonstrate distinguishment and achievement in their education. That is what is happening in Australia. Compared to the rest of the world, you think, oh, well, maybe this is happening all over the place. No. Of all the OECD countries that, that, that measure such things, okay, and there's 73 of them. 73 students, 73 countries around the world measure um, how well their kids do, and they measure this concept of inequality or educational inequality. This, this, this is a measure. We are fourth from the bottom. Okay, we're nowhere near the top. We are fourth from the bottom of the 73 countries that measure it. We are the fourth most unequal education system in the OECD. Now, this is our problem. This is a problem that is not being discussed by the current caretaker government. It's not being discussed even by the incoming government because it's too hard. Because the reasons for this relate to, from my point of view, the systemic corruption, which we heard hints of in that debate on the ABC. We said, well, you know, don't give us any money then. Okay, good, let's not. That actually solves the problem of inequality. If you take away the right for a school to refuse a student... No, you can't come to our school. You're too poor. Go away. You're too poor. It's much more subtle. You can't pay the fees of $30,000. And any, any parent who's been in the situation, you have this discussion where you go, oh, that's, 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 that's all very good. Maybe your child's educational needs could be better met somewhere else that's not here. Go back to your own kind. I'm being a bit snide and rude here. And Chris, and I'm, I'm not quoting Chris Bonner. He would never say such silly things. Um, that's just me here, Robert, on the dogs program. But now we come to the good bit. The good bit is what I tell you about a really great state school up in Queensland. Um, but we'll do it after this. Every week on the dogs program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. I'll tell you about this really cool school. It's it's a great school. It's Ginny Borough. Ginny Borough. Primary school. It's up there, just outside Burpengary, just just inland, not 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 towards the seaside. And this, I'm, I'm going to read from their website. You don't often hear this on a state school website. This this is this is the cover page for their website. They said, research tells us there is no correlation between how much parents pay for their education and the quality of their education. Non-government schools do end up with more money than government schools, but this rarely translates to additional teachers or lower class sizes. 
Rather, it's more likely to end up at the sandstone gates and other cosmetic superficial differences. Now, I'm reading from a state school website here, so this is not, this is not a dog's, dog's press release from Jean. They say, in short, paying private school fees is often unlikely to get you better academic results for your child um, than they get here at a government school. They've got some creative teachers well, or principals they, there. They go on and say, good teachers get good results and great teachers get great results. This points directly to the most important variable in the teaching and learning process, the teaching. Mm. The best teachers can do much to eliminate student disadvantage and provide students with accelerated pathways to fulfil their learning potential. Co-ed or single-set schools show no difference in outcomes for students, nor does a composite class. It's the quality of the teaching. Mm. Homework is an important window into the classroom for primary school parents and should be an opportunity for students to practice skills that they've already been taught by us and establish good study, routines for their future. Outside, that doesn't make any difference. Those students who remain at the same school, by the way, do achieve better results than those who haven't. Indeed, student performance declines as the number of schools they move to increase. Stability, consistencies are essential requisites for school success. Highly effective schools have a stable and focused leadership team, like us, who engage with the community, support and mentor teachers and provide safe, disciplined and orderly environments. At Ginnaburra, we work to support every teacher to deliver great teaching and learning, providing stability, consistency in our curriculum, in our pedagogy and our assessment, and we have high expectations of students. We plan to deliver certainty and consistency in student discipline. All these things are a work in progress, but they maintain the full focus of everyone here at the school. Wow! That is a state school's... Well, I'm jumping out too. I almost said my kid there. called a mission statement, but still, they're on the right track. You oh, don't boy, see, you don't right see that on the many mission statements, that's yeah, for sure. It's a really interesting school, this one. Um, how are they doing? You know, how are the kids doing? Fine. They're doing good. Yeah, year three reading, uh, sorry, year three writing, they could probably improve on that a bit, but apart from that, you know, all the numbers, they're just doing fine. 700 kids go to this school, a primary school of 700 kids. There's not many um, non-English speakers and there's not many Indigenous kids there, I have to say, but it's been around since 1996. Prep to year seven curriculums, um, they've got, of course, um, the Australian National Curriculum, which they teach, but they also do French and other light subjects, and they have a gifted and talented program because they're big enough. There's early intervention strategies and learning and special needs for kids as well. The program is balanced and provides innovative learning experiences that build on solid foundations. And from their point of view, English and mathematics are some of the prior priorities of the school. So all those people going reading and writing, yeah, they're doing it, and they're doing the counting stuff too. This is an incredible school. Now, I mean, how much is all this going to cost? You know, 700 kids, all that support, individual learning plans, gifted and talent programs. They've got a language program. They've got support for kids that need it. $11,980 per kid per year. Oh, by the way, parent fees. Yeah, um, parent fees, because, you know, sometimes these, even state schools, yeah. Voluntary. Yeah, voluntary parent fees, 70 bucks a year. Voluntary parent contributions, $70 a year. Oh, Jennifer. Oh, I wish I was sending my kids there. You sound like you're having fun. Now, Burp and Gary, um, um, I, I saw a few eyebrows raised out there in radio there when I said Burp. Yeah, it's, it's not the, uh, it's not the apple of the socioeconomic status eye of Australia, I tell you right now. Um, there's a lot of struggling kids out there. Uh, there's a lot of struggling families out there. There's a lot of struggling people out there in, 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 in the, that, that send their kids there. But tell you what, this school's doing them proud. Now, I did a little look around and say, well, I wonder if there's any private schools, you know, primary schools around there which are private. And there is. Yeah, there's one just down the road. Um, I think it's called Christ the Lord Catholic School or something like that. Yeah, their results aren't so good, <laughs> I have to but say. how much are they costing us? Uh, they're costing us the same. And the parents are topping it up. So it ends up being, you know, about, about $11,000 is, is what the taxpayer's paying for the Catholic school as well. Um, the kids in the Catholic school aren't quite as socioeconomically disadvantaged. Okay, so the kids tend to come from wealthy families because it's a private school, because they have fees, but their results are not as good when it comes to the numbers. So it's also, by the way, around about a quarter the size of Ginnabar. 
So it's a smaller school. They're not doing so good, and everyone's being wealthy and happy on their own, I suppose. But I'll tell you what, if I was up there outside Burpengar, I'd be sending my kid to Jinnabara. So I have to say, our great state school for the week this week, congratulations to Jinnabara Primary School up there in Queensland. Want to defend government schools? We are the DOGS, D-O-G-S, Defenders of Government Schools. Every week on the DOGS program we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. If you're a parent or if you're a kid or if you're involved in the school in any way whatsoever and you love your state school, give 3CR a call. We want to hear about these schools that we're defending. Brunswick Secondary State schools are great. Harkaway Primary School. Sunshine North Primary School. They're really concerned about the welfare of the kids and their growth as people as well as learning. Like you put on plays, you've got enrichment, you've got physical education, visual arts, languages, all that. In fact, is there a cooking? Actually an embracing of kids from disadvantaged backgrounds and with additional needs. More than half of your kids are from some of the poorest families in Australia. Yeah, definitely. That's the community and that's who we're servicing and that's that's who we welcome into the school. Outdoor play is linked to healthier and happier children. This, in turn, leads to better grades. In the weekly assemblies and stuff, they have a little thing, uh, you've been caught being good, and they have a a value of the week each week, and so it's not just worse, it is actually... So so what do the teachers do when it's a building site? Yeah, they kick themselves out of their own staff room and turn into a classroom. Just a really nice culture and an emphasis on social skill building as well as learning. Quite a range of intellectual ability and kids with mental health diagnoses, refugee kids, kids who have not been in the country very long, don't necessarily start off with a positive great relationships with each other, with teachers, and with the community. And they run a, a breakfast club. There's a recognition that some kids don't get breakfast, and so there's, there's food on. If you are involved in a state school and it's a great school, we'd love to hear from you so we can talk about it and tell the world. Leave a message for the dogs at 3CR on 9419 State schools are great schools. Great state schools. The Dogs Program this week, we'll have to come back again next week because I doubt we're going to win the battle in the next seven days. Um, look, it's been great to have you company with myself, Rob, Jean and Dale here producing us in the studio. Look, we've had a good, we've had a good go at it. Um, talking about franking credits, I suppose. That was a detailed taxation thing, but all money that goes to state schools is good money. I don't care if it comes out of the pockets of elderly pensioners that don't need it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite unabashed about all of that. I'm sure when someone else in the pension, I might have something else to say about it, but I'm not there yet. Oh, well, that actually is what it should have been about, perhaps. Yeah, Indeed. That's what it's really about. But I do have to say that um, we are the dogs. We are the defenders of government schools. We're here on 3CR because 3CR is the only people that will have us. And quite frankly, that's just where we like to be. 3CR 855 on the AM dial. If you do want to contact us, of course, you can get us at our website www.adogs.info That's www.adogs.info But until next week, from us here at the Dogs, it's bye for now. I dreamed I saw Joe here last night Alive as you and me Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe, says I, him standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill, went on to organize. Went on to organize From San Diego 
up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find your hill. I dreamed I saw your hill last night. Alive as you and me, says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he.